32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Praise God, the word of the Lord from Psalm 32. Have you ever wanted to shame someone? Um, One of the great internet crazes now is called animal shaming. You take a picture of your animal, you post it on social media, a picture of your animal with a little sign that tells the mischief they've been into. Especially dogs, because dogs uh, sometimes get into this type of mischief. And because, try to put a sign around the neck of your cat and get a picture. So, so the pictures typically are of dogs that have been in some kind of mischief. And with this statement to shame them, that's taken, the picture's taken and posted on social media. Here are a few examples. A picture of a, of a dog, and the, the sign with the dog says, My name is Biscuit. I ate a large tube of Vaseline, and now I have to wear a doggy diaper because I am drooling Vaseline out of my rear. Well, how about that? (laughs) If you do that, you deserve to wear a diaper, and maybe you deserve to get posted on social media, puppy. Um, The next one that I saw said, I tried to eat Jesus, and there's a picture of a little dog chewing on a crucifix. Um, don't eat Jesus, doggy. That's not nice. And then how about this one? Picture of a dog with a sign that says, I went to my mom's purse while she was asleep, and I ate a tube of bright red lipstick and chewed up three $1 bills. Animal shaming. And it, that, came, that was in a picture of this dog with lipstick all over its paws and all over everything everywhere that it had went with its paws. The next one, picture of a dog with the, the sign of shame that says, my house was under attack by a new $700 Roomba. I saved us. And a picture of the damaged Roomba next to the, Roomba next to the dog. Hey, you've got to watch out for those evil robot vacuum cleaners, you know. And finally, 
this one, a picture of a dog with a sign that says, I ate a bottle of glitter, and now my poop sparkles. So that may be my personal favorite. Um, everywhere we turn, there is shame. It's funny, we laugh today about shaming pets, but the truth is, a lot of people live with shame. Many people have regrets about things that we have done that we know were wrong. And as a result, we feel a lot of shame in our lives. Um, Perhaps you know the famous story called The Scarlet Letter. Maybe you read it in English literature class about a woman in the 1600s who lived in Boston. She was convicted of committing adultery. And as a result, she had to wear a red letter A over her garment. For three hours every day, she was put on a scaffolding in the middle of town for people to walk by and to see her and to mock her and for her to feel the shame that many people wanted her to feel. Um, This is not at the point of my sermon, but let me just pause here and say, where was the man? Because if she committed adultery, there was another person involved, and the story suggested it was a man. So where was he? Um, Just a thought. A lot of times we wear the weight of shame like a necklace, like that dog with the sign draped around its neck. We have shame for many different reasons. Your shame may or may not be due to adultery, um, like the story we just talked about, but it might be about a whole lot of other things. You know, body shaming is a big thing today. We look in the mirror and we think, I don't have the body I wish I had. I feel ashamed. Some people feel ashamed because their socioeconomic level um, or they're ashamed because of their employment. Maybe you look around and see people that you went to school with or friends you used to work with and they have climbed and climbed in their work life and, you kind of, and you're kind of somewhere in the middle and, and you're not where you really want to be and as a result, you feel a sense of shame. And you say, I don't want anybody to know where I'm at. For others of us, uh, it may be parenting. It's easy to feel a lot of shame as a parent. If I would have raised my kids differently, they wouldn't have gotten into that. Sometimes we can be hard on ourselves when it comes to parenting. Or what about sex? We slept in the wrong bed, and we feel a sense of shame for that. We all wear the letters of shame around our neck in some form. In Psalm 32, King David, the great king of Israel, began to write about his own acquaintance with shame. David had experienced a lot of it. He had committed adultery with a lady named Bathsheba. A week ago, we looked at guilt from Psalm 51, which is a parallel passage with the psalm we look at today, Psalm 32. The two psalms were written about the same time. David felt a great amount of shame. He didn't just commit adultery. Listen, there are only ten commandments, and David broke five of them with Bathsheba. He coveted another man's wife. He stole her away. He committed adultery. He murdered, and he lied. David realized, I really, really messed up. I've embarrassed myself. I've embarrassed my family. I've embarrassed my kingdom. I'm ashamed. The list goes on. And on and on. Yet God begins to deal with him in a very special way that is so powerful. 
I want you to see it today. It's a journey from monumental shame to it's a great life. When the problem of shame is in your life, it's like there's a wall between you and God. You're trying to get to God and you can't because of the big wall. Today we want to tear down that wall. Today we want to be people who walk in victory over the sense of shame. There can be good shame. If we consider doing certain things, we are going to hurt others or embarrass ourselves. We don't do them. That can be positive, but often shame is very negative, isn't it? Shame can be destructive, and I believe this. We are harder on ourselves than anybody else is. We look at our own selves, and we can shame ourselves much more than any other person could. So how can we let go of that? How can God do something fresh and new in our lives? Let's look there in Psalm 32 at verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. When you feel dominated by shame, good things can happen in your life, but you can't even enjoy them because you feel so bad about the shame that you carry. David says, my bones wasted away. The hand of God was heavy on him. God was pushing on him. David, David, David. David says, I was miserable. I was silent. Many commentators believe that David was in, a, in, in obscurity for a year. He kind of crawled into the fetal position, as it were, and didn't talk to anybody. He didn't want to worship the Lord. He didn't want to connect with friends. He didn't want to do anything. He kept silent. Sometimes we believe that silence is the key to winning over shame. If I don't talk about it, if I don't acknowledge it, if nobody knows what I've done, if I keep it all secret, then it will be better. David says, when I kept it secret, oh no. It was bad. He says, I had no strength. Here, the word that he uses for groan means like the roar of a lion. There was an inner rage in David, an uneasiness. There was pain in his life, and he didn't know what to do. The Bible says shame makes us miserable. I don't think I have to convince you today that shame is a miserable place to be. Sometimes it's hard to pull ourselves out of that place. David was a hot mess. He was in all kinds of turmoil and trouble. Guilt and shame are to the conscience what sickness is to the body. David's conscience was sick with pain, with guilt, with shame. I believe one of Satan's primary tools is to shame us. If the devil can make you feel a strong sense of shame, you're not going to have the confidence to do what God has planned for you. The devil wants to put you down. He wants you to think you are less. He wants you to feel like you are not capable. That's one of the greatest of his schemes. Listen, the devil has been doing it for a very long time. Let's not let him win in our lives. David says shame is a miserable place to be. It's a dark place. There are triggers to shame. We have them a lot of the time. Sometimes we can be rocking along, 
things are going great in our life, and then all of a sudden, boom, out of nowhere, and we haven't even thought about it for a while, somebody says something to us, puts us down, and shame. We don't reach a goal we had anticipated. Shame. We compare our life to somebody else's. Shame, shame, shame. These triggers in our life can click in an instant. What do we do in moments like that? At the end of verse 4, in the Old Testament Hebrew is the word Selah. The translation of Selah is uncertain, but it appears 71 times in the Psalms. And God put it there, so we should pay attention to it. Many commentators believe the translation is for Selah is pause. This psalm was originally lyrics to a song. The book of Psalms is the hymn book of Israel. So this is like David saying, pause. In the song, you pause. And maybe there's a short interlude and the musicians play a little bit. But I believe um, there's an even greater meaning than that because David is saying to us, pause and think about the weight of shame before you go down the road of sin. Before you go down the road of instruction. Before. Pause. Pause a moment. Think about it. Reflect on it. Are you sure you want to go there? The Bible tells us sin is fun for a season, but the season ends. Then we're left with the shame, and we wish we never would have gone down that road in the first place. So, we look for substitutes. I want us to look at this passage today because the Bible tells us that God is the answer to our shame. But before we find God, a lot of times we try to find other things. Over the past few years, I have been in conversation with a couple folks who felt abundant shame. So much shame that they stayed in awful, abusive relationships. Isn't it incredible what shame will make you do? Isn't it amazing what shame will cause you to think? These people contemplated ending their lives. They felt so bad they didn't believe life could ever become better. They couldn't get past what had happened to them, and they were going to end it all. What's your substitute today? What are you seeking to help you find refuge and strength in the middle of great shame? We need God. In those moments, we need to be reminded that we must turn to the Lord because overcoming shame makes me joyful. That's what the Bible tells us. The reason overcoming shame makes us joyful is that Jesus paid for our shame. Over the years, my wife Lucy and I have gone out to eat and had our meal paid for without us knowing ahead of time. We ordered, enjoyed a great meal, and when it was time to get the check, found out that someone had picked up the tab. Sometimes we, we um, knew who blessed us, and sometimes we never knew. My joke upon finding out that we were being blessed with the free meal was, can I order a steak dinner to go? I didn't really mean that, I was having some fun. But I love to think about those experiences because they help me understand God has paid your tab. The bill we've run up has been paid for by God in the person of Jesus Christ. And when God forgives our sin, 
God takes the check and the Bible says our bill is paid in full. And the result is, it brings joy into our lives. But how do we get there? How do we get there with God? We have to acknowledge our own sin. Look at verse 5 in Psalm 32. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, to God, and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. You see, earlier, David was trying to hide his sin. Now he was acknowledging it. Here the word acknowledge means to open your hand. It's kind of like David is holding on to his sin like this and and trying to hide it. And then all of a sudden, he pulls it out. He acknowledges sin to God. And that's when he finds hope and restoration. As long as we conceal our sin, we live in misery. As long as we bring it out in the open and reveal it to God, we find hope and strength. Now isn't that beautiful? David says, I acknowledge my sin to you. Confession is is not just us telling God what we've done. Confession is God telling us what we've done, and then our agreeing with what God says. To acknowledge is to confess. We confess to God. Sometimes we think about confession as getting into a booth with a priest, but today I'm talking to you about what the Bible says, to acknowledge your sin to God. It means to come before God and say, God, I messed up. I blew it. I shouldn't have done it. I feel terrible about it. God, I'm acknowledging that. Will you forgive me? The Bible says God forgives sin in a moment. It's instantaneous. You don't have to call somebody and wait on hold. You don't have to wait for your turn in line. For some, you don't have to wait for something to arrive in the mail. The moment God forgives sin, it is complete and instant. Wow, that's God. I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up, says David. And you, God, forgave the guilt of my sin. There are three words here that are, that are sort of synonymous in the verses, last verses that I read, but are a little different. The three words are sin, iniquities, and transgressions. The word sin means miss the mark. Uh, iniquities is another great word. It, it means something is twisted. When we sin, something gets twisted. That's when we commit iniquities. Iniquities are something like the Word of God. All, all of that doesn't apply to me. Something got twisted. David says Bathsheba is so beautiful and nobody will know. Something got twisted. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden heard, Why don't you eat of the forbidden fruit? God won't care. Something got twisted. Every time we sin, something gets twisted in our minds and in our spirits. There is also another related word in this passage, transgressions. Transgressions mean I start to detour from the way of God. That is, God has taken me over here, but instead I'm going to go over over here, over there. I'm going to go somewhere new. I'm going to go my own path. I'm going to go my own direction. When we sin, 
we miss the mark. We twist what God has said, and we go our own direction. But here's what is beautiful. When we come to God in humility and say, God, I acknowledge what I have done, God forgives our sin. Isn't that amazing? Some people ask, why do I need to ask God for forgiveness if I'm already a follower of Jesus? If he is in my life and I'm in Christ and I'm part of the family of God, why do I need to come clean with God? Aren't I already forgiven? There are two things at play here. The moment you commit your life to Jesus Christ is the moment you enter into a spiritual relationship with God. You become a child of God, a son or daughter of God. In a moment, you enter into God's family. Everyone is God's creation. God's family are those who have called on the name of Jesus Christ for salvation. The moment you do that, you are in God's family. A spiritual relationship has begun. But listen, the reason we have to keep acknowledging and confessing sin to God is because we also have a fellowship with God. You see... I'm married to Lucy, my wife, and we may disagree from time to time. I may say something unkind to her or she to me, and our fellowship is broken. We're still married, but we're still family, right? You can be irritated with your family, but they're still your kid or your spouse or your mom or your dad or whatever. You also have a fellowship factor. How you relate, how you connect. You know what it's like when you're conflicted with somebody in the home, it's like you're tiptoeing around. You you know it's uncomfortable. It's kind of awkward. It's uneasy until you go to the family member and say, Hey, I was wrong about that. Would you forgive me? And then all of a sudden, fellowship is restored. That's what God wants. If our relationship with God is intact, but our fellowship with God is broken, the moment we come to God and say, God, please forgive me, fellowship is restored. That's why we have to keep confessing sin. And if, after we're saved, we, we still have free will, and we can continue on that path of destruction, um, and we can never come back to God, never confess and come back, and, and you can lose your relationship with God. He will always allow you back, but you can refuse to want it back. So, God... Please forgive me. Fellowship is restored when we do that. And that's true for believers, followers in Jesus Christ as well. That's why we have to keep confessing sin. It should be something we do on a regular basis because it builds a positive relationship with God. Now, watch what happens when this occurs in a person's life. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Blessed is a word that means happy, made happy. Um, If you want to be happy in life, if you want to be blessed, get things straight with God. Sometimes we think being blessed is driving a big car or having a a great job or being well-known or influential. But being blessed, the Bible says, is being forgiven by God. It's knowing that when you lay your head on the pillow at night, your conscience can rest easy because God has done a work in your life and you have received Him and responded in faith. 
Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. If we want to be happy, we have to make it right with God. So, let's make it right with God. Psalm 32, verse 10. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in Him. When you confess sin to God, His love fills your heart. You need some strength. You need some compassion. You need some mercy in your life. Come to God. The Bible doesn't say that when you confess sin to God, God smacks you around and makes you feel worse than you felt before. No, it says the unfailing love of God surrounds you. Is there anybody today who doesn't need to be surrounded by the love of the great God? We need it, don't we? He says in verse 11, Psalm 32, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. When we put our shame into God's hands, we begin to feel joyful. Psalm 32, verse 7, the author says, You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with the songs of deliverance. I've been thinking about that verse this week. Why do I need a hiding place? Hiding place means a place of security. It's a safe house, a fortress, a secret hideout. Do you ever have a, did you ever have a secret hideout as a kid? A place you could go that was safe? The Bible says God is a safe place. Why do we need a safe place? Because shame is always chasing us down. We get to a great place in life and we're feeling wonderful, all of a sudden shame starts coming after us out of nowhere. And when shame is coming after us, we run to the strong place, to the safe place, and that is to the name of the Lord. God is the safe place. Don't let shame hunt you down. How many Christians confess sin to God and then get up off their knees and they feel as terrible after they pray as they did before they prayed? Let's not let shame hunt us down. God's love surrounds us, the scripture says, and God is the safe place. So let's run to Him. The question is, if God's forgiveness is great, why are more people experiencing it? Because there's a lot of shame in the world, isn't there? Shame is one of those sins we don't want to talk about. It's one of those deeply inward thought patterns. Are you thinking through this? I hope each of you are giving this due consideration today. Shame is an inner part of us. Why don't more people experience freedom from shame? There are a few things I want us to look at here. Because we have to get out of the shame trap. People are stubborn. Psalm 32, verse 9, Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by the bit or the bridle, or they will not come to you. Horses, donkeys, mules, stubborn, and ornery. When I was 13, my family was on vacation up in, in the White Mountains in Arizona. 
me and another kid were dropped off at this stable where you could rent horses to ride. I was given a horse and we rode for about 15 minutes and came to an open meadow. I, I kicked the horse just a little bit with the heels of my tennis shoes. I know, you can tell right there how experienced I was, right? Wearing tennis shoes to ride a horse. Okay, wearing tennis shoes to ride a horse. So I wanted the horse to trot across the meadow and I, and I goaded it, kicked it a little bit with the heels of my tennis shoes. It didn't move any faster, so I kicked it again. And this time, it bolted. It took off. We're going full speed across this meadow. So I pulled back on the reins because, you know, I wanted to trot a little bit, go a little faster than I was, but full speed, yeah, no. So without warning, after after I pulled on the reins, you know, instead of slowing down, the horse turned to the left. Without warning, um, I am told I flew off the horse and landed on my back on the only rock in the meadow. When I came to, there was an elderly gentleman leaning over me, very full of honest concern, who asked me, are you okay? And I didn't say it, but I'm thinking, oh yeah, I'm doing great, dude. That's why I'm laying here. Um, But I held my tongue and I didn't say it because he was... Um, legitimately concerned for me because he saw me fly off the horse and land on the only rock in the meadow. The Bible says people can be like horses and donkeys and mules. They can be stubborn. Sometimes we are really stubborn and we don't want to admit that we need God. That's what it is. Why don't more people experience God's freedom? God's freedom from shame? Because people are stubborn. The Bible warns us against it. It's a great shame-free life. Psalm 32, verse 6. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. Why don't more people experience a shameless life? Because we don't talk to God. The Bible says to pray to God, and it says pray to God before the water is rising. Don't wait until you're in a huge mess. Pray now. In Psalm 32, verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. We must listen to God. We must pray and we must listen to God. We need to develop a sensitivity to the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So when God's Word speaks, when Holy Spirit speaks to us directly during prayer, through God's Word, we hear what God is saying. God's love will surround us and set us free. I've got some great news today. If you've confessed sin to God, you should no longer feel guilty. You should no longer live in shame. God has redeemed you. He's set you free. He's bought you back. He's restored you into right relationship with Him. David says, I admitted my sin to God, and God forgave me. That same God who forgave David will work in your life as he will work in anybody else's life. That's 
why we turn to Him. That's why we worship Him today. Because He's a great God. Today, it's time for us to turn those areas of shame over to God. Body images, or finances, or employment, or sexual mistakes, or other areas of shame in our life. We turn them over to God today. We say, God, forgive me. And then we walk in freedom. We walk as David when he said, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Hallelujah and amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great forgiveness. Thank you that there truly is enduring freedom and victory over shame. God, move in us to come to you today to confess anything that we need to do. If there's, if there's somebody that we need to make something right with, give us the conviction to do that and not to continue to make up all the reasons why we get to speak, but they don't. God, help us to truly be right with you and to truly be right with others. May our fellowship be restored with you. May our fellowship be restored with each other. May we live this life by faith in Jesus Christ, free from shame. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done, all you are doing in this moment, and all you will do today and the days to come. Pour your Spirit out upon us and use us to build your kingdom on earth, to bring you glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I hope today continues to be a day of worship for you, and we look forward to gathering with you again next week. May you be blessed in the meantime. I love you. God bless you.